Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Mountain Murders. Yeah, we're really excited about the listenership so far. Yes, yes, it's been uh, been incredible. People are actually listening to us. Yeah, we went back and we were sort of checking some of the analytics on the Nance Dude story, and yeah. a lot of people listening to that. Yeah, it really has some legs on that one. People seem really interested. It did. So we have another case here that is just fucking gruesome. I'm going to be honest, this case is pretty disturbing. Yes, anytime you get into the messing with a corpse if you will or any of that it is it gets pretty pretty crazy pretty fast it does and so this case actually came to me via my mother so my mother's a listener thanks mom she enjoys the show and she was like you know there was a case when you were a little girl that just really like basically fucked with my head i mean she was like it was so gruesome so creepy um, that I never forgot about it. Like and she so could she, never forget about it. Yeah, she's like, it was just unforgettable. And she was like, I remember the trial and watching this guy on the news and thinking like, what a son of a bitch for doing this, you know? It was just so fucking horrible. And um, so, of course, she gives me the information. I start doing some research and find out the details of this case. And it's disturbing. Is it? Yes. And to think that this happened, you know, just... Over the mountain. Yeah, just stones throw away. Pretty fucking disturbing stuff. So are you ready to find out about our fourth episode? Yes, I don't know anything about this when I'm excited. Okay. So imagine that you are just like, you know, out in the woods or perhaps you're a hunter. Like these two individuals who happen to stumble upon the headless body of Um, someone. Oh my God. And imagine their head and hands have been removed. Can... I mean, well, I don't even know how to fucking react to that. I don't know what I would do. How horrible would that I'd be? I'd probably puke. Okay, so these two hunters out of the woods the day after Christmas, this would have been December the 26th, 1984, in Transylvania County, happened to stumble upon a body whose head and hands had been severed. And this was alongside US 276 in Transylvania County, less than a mile from the Haywood County line. Okay. And, and so we know that area as like the cradle of forestry, yeah. right? It's just off the Blue Ridge Parkway. Parkway, yeah. Very heavily wooded area, dense wooded area. A lot of tourists travel that way. Yeah, it's a pretty popular route there. It really is. And then, of course, you have these two hunters out in the woods find this headless, handless body. And, of course, you know, officers believed that the head and hands were removed to prevent identification. Right. And the head and hands have never been found. Never been found to this day. Not that I'm aware of, no. That is crazy. Never discovered, right? What do you do? Uh, you know, just a side note. What do you do with a, say you've killed this butt person and you got this body and you're going to cut the heads and hands off, head and hands off and get rid of the body. Okay. You're trying to prevent identification. I get it. 
What the hell do you do with the head and hands? I don't know. Do you drop it at like a different do location? Do you put it somewhere else? Do and you bury it? Do you burn it? Do you burn it? Do you keep it? Do you keep a finger? I mean, I don't just just the the thought of like driving around with someone's head and hands after you've already cut it off their body. It just it blows my mind that people well, can even do this. Well, the thought of cutting someone's head and hands off their body is yes. I, I don't know. know how you do it. Yeah, that doesn't seem like an easy task. No, and and I know I know you could kill someone. I mean, right. Stuff happens. A fight. You know, you black out or you whatever. I, I could them, see killing someone. Not that it, I would whatever. do it. Right. But when you cut their body up in any form or fashion, Des- when you desecrate their corpse, when you dismember their corpse, it's a whole nother level crazy for me. Right. I think. Yes. And how do you fucking do that? Are I don't you even using know. Using like a kitchen knife? No, I don't know. Do I think you got to have like a fucking hacksaw or a some fucking shit. chainsaw. I mean, because imagine you were cutting through, cut someone's head off, bone, bone, and skin, cartilage, sinew, muscles. It can't be easy. What a mess! Because I cut a damn, I get, you know, I get frustrated cutting a damn chicken up in the kitchen. You know? Yeah, I've seen you with pork. Well, I mean, well, that pig had it coming. So I'm I've just seen, saying. I've seen you working like a, a like a barbecue, like yeah. Well, I can handle my meat. I don't, you know. Excuse me. I'm not. I mean, I'm not insulting you. I'm just saying. I've seen but you in, more, in, how, in action at work. You know. In the hell do you hack someone's fucking head off? I don't get it. Ew, in their hands. And then their hands. I don't know. I mean, this, like I said, very gruesome. Okay. Right? Okay. Sorry. So let's get back to the podcast. Two fellas, two hunters in the woods, find this handless headless body like something out of a goddamn horror movie right right so pretty gruesome and uh so it took a while of course because we're talking this is 1984 they don't have the dna the technology that we have today in 2018 so it's going to take a little time to identify this body right well eventually sometime in january i believe it was around like january the 4th so not a huge amount of time, but you know, sometime they end up identifying this body as a 27 year old construction worker from Georgia. And I'm not even going to attempt to butcher this. Well, I guess I will. Smyrna from Smyrna, Georgia. I think you're saying it right. Okay. Well, he was identified in January using some x rays from hospitals in Ohio and Georgia. So definitely took some digging around. So they. We're looking at breaks and stuff in his bones. I guess so. So it comes back. This is the body of Stephen Wade Boyer. So Boyer is in the process of a divorce action, according to Georgia officials. Well, it turns out he and his wife, Ellen, getting a divorce. Now, it does seem like they had a seemingly amicable amicable divorce. They're living in separate residences. There really wasn't anything reported about it being a, you know, like a violent situation, anything like that. Yeah. Well, sometime later, a Haywood County grand jury decides to indict James DeVoe McElrath of the Crusoe community um, in the death of a son-in-law whose body was decapitated and found in Transylvania County. So the father of the wife, Ellen. That's crazy. Yeah, definitely. So here's what we know. And uh, we'll we'll get into this here and uh, talk about the, the case. So the defendant, McElrath, 
was convicted of first-degree murder of his son-in-law, Stephen Wade Boyer. So the state um, had a lot of, uh, I guess, facts and circumstances surrounding this really bizarre case. So here's what happened. It was a pretty mysterious disappearance with Stephen Wade Boyer. Some of the most bizarre and unusual of crime in the state. So we're going to we're going to go back here. December 26, 1984, a nude, headless, handless body discovered alongside the highway in rural Transylvania County. The body identified as Stephen Wade Boyer. The cause of death, um, as revealed, of course, by an autopsy, was a shotgun wound to the victim's lower left chest. Boyer's head and hands apparently severed from his body by the perpetrator after the victim had died and have never been found. So somewhere out there, a head and hands floating around. Who knows? Well, the state's case against the defendant, Jimmy DeVoe McElrath, is based entirely upon circumstantial evidence. Really? So something that's going to come into play later on, but we're going we're gonna to get, uh, get to the, de- the details right now. So after a very lengthy investigation, circumstantial evidence amassed by various law enforcement officers, the state's evidence grew um, through, you know, some time. Apparently, McElrath was, um, grew up in Haywood County, first and foremost. So he's from the area, retired from General Motors Corporation. He had been a dealer consultant in the southeastern United States for like 20 years. The defendant and his wife, Nancy, owned two homes. They had a summer home in Crusoe, which is a community in Haywood County, North Carolina. And they had a winter home in Florida, which that's pretty common. We have a lot of snowbirds, as we call them here. We have a lot of people who um, live in Florida, you know, throughout the year mostly. They'll summer in Haywood County in the mountains here. And so you might see them for a couple of months and then they go back to Florida when it's a little colder. Very common. So we have that situation here with this fellow McElrath. Well, okay. So again, the victim was married to the daughter, Ellen. And at the time of the events in question, the victim and the defendant's daughter were living apart in separate apartments in Georgia and divorce was apparently imminent. Now, it was, um, I guess, in this context that the defendant, McElrath, and his wife, Nancy, Um, had traveled from their Florida home to visit their daughter, Ellen, in her apartment in Georgia to spend the Christmas holidays. Pretty common, right? They're going to come visit the daughter. She's in the process of a divorce. You know, maybe she doesn't exactly have the means to travel to Florida. Yeah, or maybe they just want to go there and support her. Yeah, maybe. You got to tie things up, do things, change things when you get divorced. So Jimmy and Nancy McElrath arrived at their daughter's home on the evening of December 21st, 1984. So on the following day, which would have been the 22nd of December, um, McElrath went to visit um, Stephen Boyer at his apartment in Smyrna, Georgia, right? And the victim was not at home at the time of um, McElrath's initial visit. Um so later, Stephen returns, you know, in the evening, and uh, I guess he speaks to, um, you know, Jimmy at some point and says, like, hey, whatever. Jimmy's like, hey, I want to come over and visit you. I came earlier today. You weren't home, whatever. So he's like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm home now. You can come over. So there was a second visit, and Stephen Boyer and 
um, Jimmy McElrath agreed that they were going to meet 1030 the next morning, which would have been December the 23rd. Right. Okay. Um, at a nearby Denny's restaurant. Oh, good old Denny's. So, you know, they he makes a second visit to the victim's apartment. They agree that they're going to meet up at this restaurant. Stephen Boyer says, you know, okay, fine, I'm going to meet you. Goes to meet his father-in-law at a restaurant to have breakfast. That doesn't seem so uncommon that, you know, you're getting a divorce from your wife. You might go meet up with her dad, have breakfast, maybe have a talk. Man to man kind of thing, right? Whatever. I don't know details. Ask what's going to happen. Well, just whatever. What do you want to do? What's she going to do? So not like so far fetched. So on December the twenty third, the day Jimmy and Stephen met at Denny's, um, that is when Stephen Boyer disappeared. Well, that's not good. Well, Jim Baumgarten, who was the victim's roommate. So he would have been Stephen Boyer's roommate. He testified that he last saw the victim about 940 that morning. And so, of course, he's supposed to be meeting the father-in-law at 1030, right? So Baumgarten testified further that um, I guess he was um, getting out of the shower sometime later. And he found a note on the kitchen window, which had been written by his next door neighbor, a lady named Sherry Elliott. So the roommate gets out of the shower, finds a note written by the neighbor. And the note says that Jim, Steve called and said that he was riding to Waynesville with his father-in-law. And then it's signed Sherry. So at some point, Stephen Boyer calls the neighbor, says, hey, I'm going to ride with my father-in-law up to Waynesville, which is where the mountain house is, the summer house. Right. And, you know. That's that's what's happening. So she writes a note, hands it off to the roommate. Well, later that day, Sherry explained to the roommate, Jim, that the victim had called her to say that he could not reach the roommate, Jim, and that he wanted to leave a message. So pretty normal. And you got to consider this is a time we didn't have cell phones. Just let him know he's not going to be back for a while. Well, yeah. And I mean, that seems pretty valid, legit, you know, something you would do. Well, sometime on December 26th, the victim's nude headless body was discovered on Highway 276 in rural Transylvania counties, which was only about, uh, I say counties, county, only about nine and a half miles away from Jimmy McElrath's nearby summer home in Haywood County. Oh, wow. Okay, so the body of Stephen Boyer was very clean as if it had been washed it only had a really small amount of blood on it. So very clean, had been washed. I mean, you've got to consider you're decapitating someone. You're cutting off their hands. There's going to be a lot of mess. You think he drained the blood like well, a deer? Well, I don't know. Like he maybe was a hunter or something? That's an interesting thought. Yeah, but like you said, there's blood everywhere. It's like dressing a human. Yeah. Like even, you would dress a deer? Well, I mean, even after you, if you were to try to just clean it after you did it, until you stop all this blood, it's going to continue to get all over the damn place. Well, here we go. It's been washed. And here's another strange detail. So there were multiple marks on the body that seemed to indicate that it had been tightly wrapped or bound. That sounds like a butcher. That sounds like how a butcher would cut and wrap meat. That's crazy. Right? Yes. 
Yeah. Well, in addition to the chest wound, which had been caused by the shotgun blast, the wounds caused by the amputations, um, of course, the headless, handless body, there were a lot of scratches on the surface of the body. And there were some scratches that appeared on the chest, and many more were present on the back in the upper shoulder area, as if the victim had been pulled by the legs over a rough surface. Wow. So, as you mentioned, this could very easily be someone who's been tied up, dragged across the ground as they're being pulled up, pulled up, hung by hung their feet, maybe. Down. Up a tree. Like, as you're yeah. saying, this sounds like someone who maybe dressed a body as though it were a deer right. or some other animal. That's I mean, crazy. I've only really seen deer. I mean, I come from a family of hunters. Right. And I've seen a lot of deer dressed in my day. And, of course, they get tied up by the feet. They get hung up from a tree. Let gravity They're do its work. gutted. They bleed out. Yep. It smells horrific. That's how they would do hogs. They would tie them up. Exactly. Slit their neck, let them hang there. Yeah. Well, that is what the evidence is suggesting, that the victim had been pulled by the legs over a rough surface. So also found at the scene were blood spots on the pavement near the side of the road and two to three foot piece of white rope which bore some kind of green stain, right? So there was a fella, he was a longtime friend and neighbor that lived directly across Pisgah Creek from the defendant's summer home in Haywood County. So we're talking about McElrath, Jimmy McElrath. This guy's name is Clyde Kelly. And Kelly would later testify that it was very unusual for the McElraths to come to Haywood County during the winter. Because according to Kelly, uh, Jim, I'm sorry, um, Jimmy and Nance, Nancy, his wife, would generally leave North Carolina sometime in October and that they wouldn't return until April. Okay. So again, snowbirds, people who come in the spring when it starts to warm up, stay through the warm weather months and then maybe stay for the fall color and then leave and go back to Florida. Right. A lot of those folks around. Enjoy the nice mountain breeze and the nice evenings in the summer. Right. Well, Kelly testified that he had never known Jimmy McElrath to come to North Carolina without his wife. So the guy had never come up to his mountain summer home without his wife in tow. And during the winter months, the home was winterized and only, um, I guess, the only electricity that was uh, left connected at that home was the refrigerator. Hmm. So they left, they turned everything off, and they were gone. Because, and they weren't coming back for a while. Well, right. So for Clyde Kelly to see um, Jimmy McElrath at his summer home during the winter was just really unusual. So on December the 23rd, um, Clyde Kelly left his house about 4 p.m. and he noticed that the gate to the McElrath's home, which was usually left locked during the winter months, was open and that Jimmy McElrath's black Pontiac, Pontiac car was parked next to the house. And the blinds were down and there were no lights on. So when Kelly returned sometime that night between 9 and 10, he noticed there were a few lights on, including the outside light over the garage. 
And he didn't go to the guy's house, you know, his neighbor. He, he thought it was weird. He noted it, you know, made a mental right, note. Like, never this saw is it. unusual. Kind of remembered the time and all that, but didn't go over there. I mean, it's evening, it's late. You know, he's not going to disturb his neighbor. So the following day, which would have been Christmas Eve, uh, about one o'clock, Clyde Kelly says that he noticed that um, Jimmy McElrath's automobiles, which was a black Pontiac and a brown Pontiac, were parked outside the garage at the McElrath home. So Kelly went over for a visit and found Jimmy McElrath in the driveway, and he was switching tires from one car to the other. And so Jimmy McElrath tells um, his neighbor Kelly that he and his wife had driven from Florida to Georgia to visit their daughter, Ellen, for Christmas because she was really depressed about the breakup of her marriage to Stephen Boyer. Right. And Jimmy McElrath also tells Kelly that he had driven to Haywood County from Georgia in order to visit his father, who had had an accident. And he also, um, you know, tells him a couple of things. And so while they're in the driveway talking, Kelly noticed that the trunks of both vehicles were open and empty. So here's Jimmy McElrath out in the driveway, two cars, trunks wide open. He's changing tires from one vehicle to the other. That's weird. Why? Well, that's kind of odd. I mean, exactly. Yeah. It's like, whatever. I mean, if I were a neighbor and was witness- witnessing this, I would probably be like, what's happening? Yeah, I'd be like, what the hell are you doing, Jimmy? Okay. So then later, while they're talking inside the home, Kelly noticed that Nancy, the wife, of course, um, wasn't present. And, you know, that was kind of an odd thing. Again, he'd noted that, like, they're normally there together. And then I guess he's noticing that, like, well, the, both these two vehicles are here, but she's not here. So that's kind of strange. How right? Who drove both vehicles? Well, but then he didn't really see anything else that seemed unusual. So, you know, the guy's like... You know, whatever continues talking to his friend for, you know, about 15 minutes or so and then returns back to his home. Well, Arthur Hubner is another friend and was an off and on business partner of Jimmy McElrath. And he owns the grocery store in Crusoe. Little tiny store we all know of. Oh, you're talking about Frank's? I mean, I guess that's what would be considered Frank's now. Okay. This is 1984, right. so it's probably something different. I it's don't know. It's called Joe's. It might be called Just Arthur's. Kidding. I don't know. <laughs> well, sometime around 11 a.m. on Christmas Eve morning, um, Jimmy McElrath visited Huber at a store. And while he's at Huber's store, Jimmy McElrath borrowed Huber's three and an eighth inch drill, saying that he needed it to work on a dishwasher at his house. Well, Huber testified that there was a drill bit in the drill when he loaned it to the defendant, which would have been Jimmy McElrath, and the drill bit was not in the drill when Jimmy McElrath returned it. So as part of the lengthy investigation into this case, police officers did a very thorough search of that brown Pontiac automobile, and among other things, they found a multiple drill, I guess they found lots of drill holes in the trunk. And in the fender wells, and they had a shiny appearance. Like they were fresh. Like they were fresh, exactly. So 
a lot of different law enforcement officers would later testify at the trial that they did this exhaustive investigation of that Haywood County summer home belonging to Mr. McElrath. And they found rope at Jimmy's home, which was very similar to the rope found near the victim's body. They also found green paint, which could have been the same paint that caused the green stain on the rope in question. Really? Yeah. Didn't clean up very good, did he? This is getting good, huh? Yeah. So numerous knives and shotguns were seized by officers from that home, but none of the guns and none of the knives bore any traces of blood. So the cases in which the shotguns were found were covered with dust and cobwebs and had not been opened very recently. Now, remember, this victim had a gunshot wound to the chest, right? But these guns hadn't been fired in quite some time. Dusty cobwebs. They're in a summer home. So that's pretty interesting. That is. But shotgun pellets and, um, I guess, different things that were found, uh, you know, from the victim's body were nonetheless consistent with some ammunition that was found at the defendant's home. So, can't find the gun, but they do find ammunition at Jimmy McElrath's home that matches the ammunition that was used to kill Stephen Boyer. However, a lot of and the rope folks in the area and that the would hunt and have guns and whatever paint. might have some of the same ammunition, right? So, this is the building of the circumstantial evidence. Yeah. So, during the investigation, officers tested various sites in McElrath's home for the presence of blood. So, I guess the tests that they did, of course, would have a positive reaction to phenolphthalein. I can't say that. <laughs> Basically, luminol. Yes. Right? Let's just call it, That's why everybody calls it luminol. Yeah. So it creates, of course, a presumption that blood is present. So you, you spray the luminol. I guess what you do, black light testing and different things, and it shows up if there is, like, blood present, right? And obviously I've been drinking wine because I'm like, I can't say this. Oh, it's called luminol. It's la, a la, science la. word. Yeah, I know, right? Okay. I wasn't very good in science. Like, I can't do math. But anyway, where are we going with this? Oh, yeah. So they were able to confirm, you know, that, there was, I guess, some blood. Um, the luminol reacted positively in some areas um, on a curtain on the door between the garage and the kitchen, the garage floor under a garden hose, and at a spot near the middle of the floor, um, and I guess on a vanity in one of the bedrooms. And the spot on the bathroom vanity was confirmed as blood when they did further testing. Now, at this time... They had to do more testing to determine that this was human blood or even to further determine a relative blood type. Right. So at this point, they're finding out, okay, there is blood, whatever. Well, the minuscule amount of material involved at the other sites, I guess, prevented further testing. So really, they were kind of only able to use that vanity in the bathroom to determine, like, okay, this is human blood. Now, yeah, again, that's a very... Small amount of blood they've found. Honestly, they can only have the one sample that's enough to where they can do further testing. So, well, if you think about it, okay, headless. a bathroom vanity, 
Well, there would probably be some kind of human blood there. Think about it. That's I mean, true. you shave. Shaving. You shave in front of the Nose mirror. Bleeds. You know, I'm thinking of, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things. You Anything. cut your finger. Maybe you run in the bathroom. You, you know, right. rinse your finger, put a Band-Aid on it. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty common. So, but he's. So not a smoking gun. No, you know, not at all. will. Well, I guess they did some more luminal testing or luminol testing, and they were able to locate some other blood um, at some additional sites in the home, um, a utility room, and the sink and the floor in the bathroom. So perhaps this gentleman was packed up in this bathroom and the blood was drained down the bathroom the sink okay drain, well the i mean that would shower be shower drain i mean that would make sense that right? would make i mean you're not going to do it in the living room floor surely well, then the brown pontiac was subjected to a pretty extensive investigation they did a lot of testing for blood with the luminol and the phenol right yeah i've so heard of that stuff there were some positive reactions to those chemicals Indicating presence of blood at um, sites in the trunk, in the fender well, near the license plate, between the two front seats, and on two of the metal shavings attached to those newly drilled holes in the trunk. Mm, That's interesting. The matting under the rear seat was extremely wet, and officers detected the odor of urine in the rear seat area. Whatever that means. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, so if someone was tied up, perhaps they were thrown, you know, into the back in seat. the back seat. They're scared to death. They're scared. They don't know what's happening. I mean, yep. I don't know. There could be a, a couple of uh, literally piss your pants. Yeah, I mean, you there could. could be some explanation for that. There could be. Otherwise, maybe this guy just was driving on a long trip and decided that he didn't want to have to stop and pee, so he just somehow peed in the backseat. I don't know. Maybe spilled his piss jug. Maybe he, exactly. Like, maybe he took off his astronaut diaper that yeah. he had pissed in. Yeah, there you go. Because he was like, I just can't stop over from my trip to Georgia to Haywood County, which is only a few hours. I'm going to piss in this adult diaper I'm going to throw in the backseat. Yeah. Does that seem reasonable? Well, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, maybe. Yeah. So when the trial happened, uh, McElrath was showing evidence that he never saw the victim again after their morning meeting at Denny's on December the 23rd. So the guy's saying, yeah, I met my son-in-law at Denny's. We had breakfast, but I never saw him again. So, according to Jimmy McElrath, he and Stephen Boyer were talking in the Denny's parking lot. Another car approached. Stephen Boyer walked over to the car, began to argue with whomever was in the car, and that uh, Stephen Boyer then returned back to Jimmy McElrath's car, told him that he would see him later, and departed in the other vehicle. So, the two dudes sitting in a car at a Denny's chit-chatting you know one guy gets out goes and argues with someone in another car comes back i'll see you later man pieces out goes and gets in that vehicle and drives away and so of course after stephen boyer leaves in this anonymous unidentified car with this unidentified person jimmy McElrath decided that he was going to drive up to north carolina to his summer home where he never goes at that time of year well, his 
principal reason, I guess, for going to North Carolina, at least this is what he's testified. And remember, he told uh, his neighbor, Clyde Kelly, that he had come up to North Carolina because he was visiting his father who had recently been injured in an accident. Okay. So another friend, and I'm assuming this might be Clyde Kelly's wife. Her name was Patsy Kelly, friend of McElrath said that she saw and talked to Jimmy McElrath at the Pantry, which is a convenience store in Canton, um, sometime between 3 and 3.30 on the afternoon of December the 23rd. And she said that she stood with the defendant as he put gas in his car, and though she didn't look directly into the car, she didn't see anybody with him. And that the whole time they were having a conversation, which was pretty brief, that Jimmy McElrath seemed pretty normal, right? So you got to go back and think, like, if he has Stephen Boyer in his car, tied up in the back seat, laying down on the floorboard, whatever, and remember there was urine right. back there, is he going to stand and have, like, a normal conversation with someone? I mean, I maybe. Maybe, but it'd be hard for a normal person who doesn't typically, is not a psychopath, because, I mean, I think you'd have to be have psychopathic tendencies to be able to remain calm in that situation. Because so, you could imagine that he's not kill people all the time. Right. right? I mean, I'm just thinking if I had a, a a body, a person in my floorboard, I'd probably pumping gas. I don't know if I could just, like, have a casual conversation with a friend. Right, but maybe he up. thought it I mean, would be stranger to that said friend if he just blew him off. Right. So maybe being a brief conversation, admittedly brief, that maybe he thought, you know, just did that. But then, I mean, maybe he had him in the trunk of the car. Yeah, could be in the trunk. I mean, if he's guilty, we're just speculating. Total speculation. We don't know. So, you know, she said he seemed pretty normal, brief conversation, whatever. Well, later McElrath said that he got up pretty early on Christmas Eve morning, December the 24th. He drove to his parents' house in Canton to visit them over breakfast and that he did return home later that morning and he did stop at the Crusoe Grocery and he did borrow that drill from the owner, Arthur Huber. Now, he said he borrowed the drill to do some work on the dishwasher water pump at his summer home and that he needed the drill because he had recently lost the ring finger on his right hand in a boating accident and he needed the power tool to help him remove some screws from the pump. And that he did work on the pump with that drill that he had borrowed for about an hour and a half after he got home. So Christmas Eve morning, he wakes up early, goes and has breakfast with his parents. Now, remember, he's saying his dad had an accident, an injury. He went to visit them. Then he stops by, bars the drill, heads back home to allegedly work on this dishwater or dishwasher. Obviously, I've had wine. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. So work on uh, this dishwasher. So, uh, you know, he during it's the holiday season. That's another, another point. And he's left his wife at home, whom he never... Well, she was in Georgia with the daughter. Right. Oh, well, I guess, I guess with the daughter's problems, maybe there's a reason for that. Okay. I'm saying, you know, it's the holiday... 
Right. Well, he's well, come to see his father. That's a little unusual, though. Maybe that he, you, would you know, he typically family. you think you would bring his uh, wife with him, and maybe his daughter, and maybe his daughter too, get her away from the distraction. There, yeah. Right. I mean, that seems like that might be feasible. So he said that after he finished working on that dishwasher water pump, that he decided to switch the tires on those two Pontiacs. Right. Why does he well, say why? Because that just doesn't make any sense. Well, he says that he was taking the tires from the brown Pontiac and putting them on his black Pontiac because the black Pontiac had recently been punctured. Okay. And so I guess instead of having it patched, buying a new tire, he's just going to switch the tires. Okay. Which, okay, it's Christmas Eve. May not be the most convenient to go out to, you know, a tire shop and That's have this true. done. Okay. So I'm, I'm trying to give the guy the benefit of the doubt here. Right. Playing the devil's advocate a little bit. So, you know, decided to switch out the tires. And while he's doing this, of course, the neighbor, Clyde Kelly, comes over. They chat. They have a conversation. Um, you know, so after um, the neighbor, you know, Mr. Kelly departs. Jimmy McElrath drained the water from the plumbing in the home, and then he leaves for Georgia in that black Pontiac sometime around 4 o'clock on Christmas Eve. So he spends the next few days with his daughter, Ellen, at her home in Georgia. She has an apartment. And then he and his wife, Nancy, decide to go back to Florida on December the 28th. And so fast forward a little time later, um, Probably around uh, the 3rd of January, um, I guess the wife, um, Nancy, becomes concerned about her daughter and decided to return to Georgia to stay with her until the divorce from the victim became final on February the 7th. So Jimmy and his wife left on January the 4th, and while traveling north, decided to go by the North Carolina home to pick up that brown Pontiac that was there and some of his wife's winter clothes. So they arrived at their summer home sometime around 4 o'clock a.m. on January the 4th. They slept until about noon and then immediately left to go to their daughter's home in Georgia. So at this point, the son-in-law has been missing, you know, week week and a half oh so they didn't have to go get the tire fixed on the pontiac other pontiac yeah i don't know i mean it doesn't there really i don't have any details about that um so let's see they uh they go back they you know hang out whatever blah 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 so um go to the daughter's home hang out whatever well you've got to remember this is the same time that that body is being discovered basically right yeah so you know through all this investigation research what have you um they conclude that they think that McElrath was involved in boyer's disappearance murder decapitation and so he eventually ends up being indicted for it and he was 49 at the time that he was charged with first-degree murder, and he was held without a bond in Haywood County Jail. But remember, all of this evidence is circumstantial. Right. So, you know, a couple, what, weeks go 
by. The body is out in the woods. Hunters find it. It takes them a little time to identify it. Now, I'm assuming if the divorce is happening, maybe Ellen, the daughter, may not be in contact with Stephen Boyer. Right. I don't know. But it just seems to me that wouldn't people be noticing that he's missing and wouldn't that be like an active thing? Seems that way. And wouldn't the daughter and like the wife, the daughter know like, hey, my ex-husband, soon to be ex-husband is missing. Right. And report didn't it. Didn't he have say something? breakfast with my dad? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's all pretty and I will say dad's story in the parking lot, it sounds like total bullshit. Well, so eventually, Jimmy McElrath is found guilty of first-degree murder of his son-in-law, Stephen Wade Boyer, and uh, he was sentenced to a mandatory life term. On basically circumstantial evidence. Which is some blood. And then Some the weirdness blood. of, like, there's holes in the trunk. Right. He's there at the time. This guy's body or, you know, goes missing. Then a the couple days later, the body's found only nine miles from his house. Now, you think the holes in the trunk, you think that would be the drain water out of the trunk, maybe? Like you're washing the trunk out? Yeah. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's got to be it, right? Well, if you clean the trunk, yeah. Yeah, but, like, you're cleaning it out and then you realize the water's pulling and you don't. Yeah, and if you go getting... back, I mean, they say that there was luminol found. Uh, the luminol did show that there was some blood in the trunk. Right. Yeah, and there were also uh, bits of blood found in the fender well near the license plate. Right. Those front seats. Right. So there had been blood in that vehicle, right? Now, is this back when uh, they couldn't just give you a, a dna profile this is in the infancy of dna right, right. 1984 right so okay so he's eventually sentenced to life in prison and he served two years in the correctional um system if you will here in north carolina um he was eventually released uh april of 1988 so he was actually um i guess convicted 1986 goes to serve this first degree murder life sentence um you know goes goes into the uh, department of corrections and ends up uh, i guess being admitted central prison eventually located to uh, or relocated to craggy prison yeah. which of course everybody here in the mountains knows about craggy um so serves two years there and then i guess on an appeal is uh, eventually released really yep because again circumstantial evidence and eventually is released. So the guy is now, I guess, in his 80s and um, living in Florida. I don't know if he still has a, a home here in the mountains. But, uh, you know, is is no longer serving any time on this case. So he quite possibly, in a way, got away with murder. Possibly. So Stephen Boyer's murderer, the assailant, never been discovered. His head and hands still somewhere, maybe, who knows, could be somewhere around here. That's crazy. In Western North Carolina. And then here's McElrath just living his life out of prison, possibly in Florida, who knows. And the daughter, you know, living her life. And you've got a question like, did the wife and daughter know about this? And why do it? 
if they, I mean, if there's no, if they're not fighting over kids, which you never even mentioned kids, so I don't know. If yeah, there I don't is think. Kids. I mean, from what I can gather, I and, don't know um, if they even have they're, kids. They're divorcing anyway. Right. It sounds like they're getting a divorce, and it didn't. It sounded reported friends and family as being fairly amicable, and you know, like we're just going to do this as adults, and uh, why kill them? I know. So what is it? Why like? kill them? So your daughter's getting a divorce. She's depressed and sad. So what? You're like, I'm gonna fuck this dude up. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna cut kill this dude's him. head off. I'm gonna cut his head off. Yeah. His hands off. I'm gonna drain all this blood out of him. I'm gonna fucking discard him. Yeah. Like nothing out in the woods. And so I'm gonna my, do it right down the road from my house. So Daddy's little princess can feel better. I mean, is that it? I don't know. I, don't, I mean, there's like absolutely doesn't seem to be any motive. You know, if there was like this contentious custody battle which you know a lot of times will create major problems or um you know that she stood to make all this money and somehow i just don't i don't see the motive to have murdered and cut this man up and throw him away like trash yeah i don't know i mean i think like as you mentioned before like just dismembering someone's corpse oh yeah that's just fucking brutal that's next level shit that's that ninja level shit right there yeah, that's like fucking that's, yeah. extreme psychopath. Very. Like, Very. yeah. And then it just makes you, I mean, it's like if someone can do that and get away with it, like what else would they do and or what have, have done. they done? I, I'm telling you. If because someone, it's one thing like to just get angry. It's a crime of passion. Right. You're in the moment. You're in a fight. You shoot someone. You're pissed off, you know, you're filled with rage. You shoot someone, oh, shit, I killed this person, oh, right. you know. What have I done? But to, I mean, it's like the um, the planning, the premeditation of, right. I'm going to meet you, I'm going to take you with me, I'm going to drive you to my mountain house, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to dismember you. I'm going to cut your fucking head gonna off. I'm going to drain your blood out in my fucking bathtub. Yeah. I'm going to let you drain out. Then I'm going to take your body and I'm just going to throw it off in the woods like you don't even fucking count. I mean, that's just some shit right there. That's crazy. It is. And it's freaky. And to think like this happened in a place where a lot of tourists travel. There's a lot oh, yeah. of hikers, hunters. I mean, you got to think about any time you're out in the woods. I always think about that, which I, I know I'm probably like a weirdo, but I always think about when I'm out hiking or camping, backpacking, like, what would I do if I found a body out here? Yeah, I know. And any but it's day, a legit feeling because of stuff like this. Any day now, someone could find the head and hands. I mean, they really could. it could be out there. just makes you wonder if if he did it. Right, like O.J. Simpson. If I did it, this yeah, here, here's this here's worry. how I did it. Um, you know, I I just want to know where did he put the fucking head and the hands? Yeah, you got to do something with it. You know, I mean, it's got. Do it's you some... keep it in the fridge? Like Jeffrey I don't know. Dump. Maybe do that's why it... he was so worried about that fridge and um keeping the power to the fridge. Maybe and... it's his trophy. Might be a fucking well, nut then like that. It makes that. me wonder if he was like worried about that dishwasher and like fixing this dishwasher. Did he like? Yeah. Wash some body parts or like no maybe telling. some of the tools that he used to like dismember this guy. Maybe he had to do an extreme dishwashing. If he can cut somebody up, he can do any fucking thing. That's well, period. It's pretty crazy. It is. Well, um, thank you. I've been asking you for a, a gruesome one. You know, people get cut up. 
because it really does disturb me. And, Baby, I'm uh, like dominoes. I deliver. Yeah, you yeah. delivered. You did. did deliver, yeah. and it was hot and ready. Oh. I'm sorry. That's from Little Caesars. But um, it did deliver, and it is a gruesome story, and it's very disconcerting. The next time I'm out in the woods, I'll probably be freaked out. Yeah. So thanks so for that. So as you and, um, go to sleep tonight, you can think about um, that. I don't know. Maybe there's like a head and hands buried under your house. Or well, you know, the weird thing wherever. for me is I wish I had those bones, his head and hands. No, you don't. That's weird. Well, I'm just saying for our oddities collection. Okay. That's but weird. That is weird. I'm going to just, we're going to. It's kind I'm of just, expensive. Hey, hey. Shh. Yeah. Just gonna, I'm going to okay. cut you off now. I was just kidding. Okay. That was a joke. You shouldn't have those old fashions before we do this. Yeah, I'm that was a joke. That, that bourbon's a bad choice. Well, thank you again for listening to Mountain Murders. Yes, Our thanks. fourth episode here. And uh, yeah, again, thanks for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Patreon. And if you want to throw us a couple of bucks, we love that. We'll even give you a shout out on the show. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. All you have to do is search for Mountain Murders. Oh, yes. SoundCloud also. Yes, join us. <laughs>